When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. Real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash StarTalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash StarTalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome to Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, and I'm also the director of New York City's Hayden Planetarium at the American Museum of Natural History. My co-host today, comedic co-host Maeve Higgins. Man, hi, good it's to see so you. It's been so long. It's been too long. Yeah, I know. I was in Ireland. I had my sister's wedding. You don't need to hear all okay, this. Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you're a longtime veteran of Star Talk, mm-hmm. and you're host of the podcast. Mave in America. Yes, that's cute, right. Cute title. I did your podcast. You did. Yeah. Okay, I hope I did okay. You did great. I mean, my podcast is about immigration, and your point was we're all from Africa. Yes. So that was really blew my podcast out of the water. <laughs> Everybody is an immigrant to yeah. where they are. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter how far back you look. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, don't come to me telling me well, you're an immigrant and you're not. You're native. No, nobody's native. Right. Not even the people who call themselves native are native. Um. <laughs> it's true right but you know it's hot it's a hot topic we're, we're all natives of africa right if you want to go all the way back that's right all. right right which is why it was cool when the english went and claimed africa no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so t- today we're not talking about Mm-mm. immigration we're talking about the future of meat meat and meat as it might appear to have a future in the laboratory. That's according to Paul Shapiro, author of the recent book, Clean Meat, How Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner and the World. And we've got him in studio to give us all the details on the future of this sustainable, humane, and... Uh, tasty? Tasty, <laughs> we hope. Indeed it is, mate. <laughs> so, Paul, welcome to Star Talk. Not your first you. rodeo with us. Uh, no, I'm very honored to be back. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. excellent, excellent. Uh, you, have, you carry a title, Vice President of Policy at the Humane Society of the United States. That's a thing. That is a thing, yeah, amazing, I know. Uh, but it's great to be here, and I'll tell you that if you go back to the time when we were walking around the uh, plains of Africa, when where is our the cradle of humanity, uh, never since that time have we had the ability to divorce meat production from live animal raising or killing. And now, scientific advances are allowing us to do just that. And there's a lot of reasons that we want to do that. So, for example, uh, Neil, your brother from another mother, Bill Nye, often points out that raising animals for food is one of the leading contributors to climate change and a lot of other pressing environmental well, problems. agriculture in general. Yeah. Uh, agriculture, but especially mm-hmm. animal Especially agriculture. animal raising. Right. And so one of the solutions could be just eat less meat and enjoy more plant-based foods. That's a great solution. We ought to do it. I but, feel like that's something we all know 
and like not many of us do. Maybe like, we're like, on the head. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. like we've I've you try to change that. people's behavior. Right, it's like hard. exercise, and we're like, mm-hmm, I absolutely mean to, <laughs> <laughs> and I will. Do I this. had intended to this <laughs> morning. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Uh, all the more reason why we want to divorce meat production from livestock raising. And so now, if the problem is that we're raising too many animals for food, one of the solutions may lie within those animals themselves. That is within their very cells. Like if they could learn to speak, they'd be like, "Stop it!" <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the things we need to pioneer to right. enable them to have a voice. Yeah, but please, until no. then, yeah. Until then, though, there's now a group of startups that are creating what's called cellular agriculture, the mm-hmm. process of growing real foods like real meat from animal cells as opposed to animal slaughter. And what these companies are doing is producing real animal products. We're not talking about alternatives to meat here. We're talking about real meat simply grown with vastly fewer resources than are needed to produce whole animals only to slaughter them. I know it sounds like science fiction and indeed in many sci-fi right, but plots. But they're not animals, so they're not animal products. Uh, well, they are come from animal cells a lot of the time. So you're growing meat from animal cells. Okay. But so they you're, don't you're, have you're like... culturing the cells. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. so basically you're producing this through cell culture. And so it's been the domain of sci-fi for a long time. Everything from Star Trek on the USS Enterprise, that's how they ate meat, was eating clean meat. But now it's not sci-fi. In fact, it's science fact. And that's what, that's what you cover in your book. That's right. So how real is it? Can we, is there a restaurant that's going to get a T-bone steak that you grew in your lab? <laughs> uh, perhaps one day, uh, but for right now, uh, these companies are making ground meat products. Think more like uh, hot dogs, hamburgers, chicken nuggets, sausages. Stuff where the texture of the meat is, is lost from its original fibers anyway. And there's so many meat products that are on the docket. Yes. Uh, for that, uh, like, as you said, just ground beef anyway. Right. Uh, hot dogs, sausage, that sort of you're thing. Because you're not growing creatures, right? Like, you, they don't have, like, bones or brains or that's right. organs. It's uh, just, like, the stuff we use. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. exactly yeah. right. So we just need the meat. So, <laughs> you know. Reminds me of, there was one of the Gary Larson <laughs> comics, and it said, uh, boneless chicken ranch and the chickens have yeah. no bones yeah. they're just yeah. on the ground they're just like a rubber, rubber chicken farm yeah. so well maybe this will be like the brainless chicken ranch where it's the, just a bunch of cells right. of chicken cells. Yeah. none all of them are reading the or, yeah, right. yeah. so how soon is this going to happen uh, well, these companies are not yet commercialized with the exception of one, a company called Geltor, which is producing gelatin uh, from uh, basically through cell culture. But Gelatin has always been like animal hoofs or something. Yeah, right? hooves Protein or from- skin or skeleton. Mm-hmm. Uh, gelatin is basically just like... like uh, the, the, the day I learned that, I said... No, I don't need Jello that bad. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I yeah. don't crave Jello. It's funny enough. that they never like branded it differently. They were like gelatin Jello. Like yeah. the link is so there for us all to know about. <laughs> right. Well, with the exception of Geltor, which has commercialized, uh, these companies are looking at introducing products like meat or milk or uh, eggs or even leather. Really, they in the can next make eggs. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. And so what we're talking about is probably for some of them like leather and egg whites and milk, probably another year or so. Uh, then with the meats, you're looking probably more like 2021. Although one company, Hampton Creek, does pledge that within 2018 they will start selling some product that is a clean meat product. And, and they're called Hampton Hampton Creek. And it's like a race, right? Like so, I can imagine. There's all companies. Is it like the space race almost? Like where they're all trying to get there first? Oh, that's got to be hugely lucrative. Hugely lucrative. These companies are bringing in millions of dollars from venture capital funds in Silicon Valley. And even agriculture giant Cargo is investing in this space because they see clean meat as part of the future of humanity's protein consumption. Who's going to be the first to adopt clean meat? Would it be vegans? No, quite the opposite. The, The reality of the surveys shows that the more meat you eat now, the more likely you are to want to eat clean meat. The less meat you eat now, the less likely you are because this is meat. It's real animal meat. And so uh, vegans- yeah, but you're not just enslaving and killing animals to get it. Yeah. And that has been a, one of the many arguments right. posed against meat eaters. Uh, so that, that is one of the reasons why some people choose to be vegetarian or vegan. And for those people, that is uh, that problem is addressed through clean meat. People gotcha, have gotcha. other reasons too. Uh, but the fact remains that the more meat you eat, 
the heaviest meat eaters, so to speak, are the people most interested in eating this. And why? how do you know they'll be most interested? One is, I want my T-bone out that's of the rib I of a cow right? that's, and none of yeah. this newfangled Franken-food. Yeah. Now, no scientist is going to put it. Like a, a barbecue guy. Right, barbecue guy. Yeah. Right, right. Well, interestingly enough, uh, Memphis Meats, which is one of the companies leading this space, is... Uh, See, that's the kind of name, Memphis Meats. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, like one, one of the guys who... <laughs> For those guy, of you listening on the radio, Neil is wearing a cowboy hat. It just appeared out no. of nowhere. <laughs> it just materialized. Just materialized. <laughs> as soon as the voice started. <laughs> yeah. uh, but anyway, yeah, they are uh, one of the top people of the company is a guy whose family owns a, a chain of barbecue joints in uh, in Memphis and the surrounding areas. And they have pledged they want to be serving queen meat on their menu uh, as soon as these guys get it ready. And what they're envisioning is something to be pretty cool. So they want to do... Um, like, if you imagine right now a restaurant, you might think in the back they're brewing their own beers. Maybe they got their own type of IPA. Imagine a yeah, restaurant. Yeah, I live in Brooklyn. That's <laughs> yeah. like every. Imagine, re- yeah. Instead of brewing their own beer, they're brewing their own meats. And you could even imagine like the mascot, like a pig from whom these cells were biopsied in the restaurant. <laughs> that would be cool. Around, and you could Everybody eat the pat, meat. Pat the, pat the pig oh, on yeah. the back and say, eating. thanks, pig. In, oh fact, one, in fact, the company we were just talking about, Hampton Creek, did exactly that. They took a sesame, sesame seed-sized biopsy from a chicken, grew real chicken nuggets from his cells and ate them while he pecked about of the grass right before their feet. Wow. <laughs> so creepy. Yeah. No, that's cool. It's fine. That's sci-fi cool. in the in the moment. Now, what is this that NASA has to do with this? I know that there's a huge food research group in Houston yeah. for this to keep food fresh for the length of space missions. Yeah. So I know they think a lot about food texture, food taste. And so what's their role in this? I have that in my notes, and I'm like, where's it coming from? Oh, they're the progenitor. So NASA was doing research around the turn of the century, funding this research into growing meat, because if humans are going to travel the cosmos, they're not bringing Noah's Ark in tow. If they want meat, they're going to have to grow it. And so NASA funded this research. It's not research. a separate spaceship for the cow. <laughs> yeah, right, for the exactly. cows and the chickens. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. NASA needs to be ultra efficient with how they're producing food for anybody who wants to go on long-distance cosmic tourism. And the way that you do that is you grow it. And so they funded this research to grow real fish meat outside of the fish. And it got a lot of attention when they did it right around the turn of the century. And that spawned this whole industry because people thought to themselves, wait a minute, they wouldn't do that out in space. Why not here on Earth? We have a real problem with animal agriculture. And if we could address some of the key problems of sustainability with animal ag, you could address huge problems from climate change and so many other issues. Do you know enough about the molecular structure of the different cuts of meat to be able to duplicate that in the lab? So well, I know it's T-bone meat versus, uh, you know, yeah, a, like a, a filet mignon. Yeah. Right. So far, they don't have the capacity to make those type or of whole cuts meat. of meat. Yeah, yeah. so uh-huh. right now what they're doing is, like we said, ground meat. And so, yeah, they can do different cells. I mean, they could even do like a turducken type thing where you take cells from a turkey, cells from a duck, and cells from a chicken and mix them all together. So you could do that, but That's it's a thing still of turducken? Delicious. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah but you I still, can't say I've ever had that urge, you know? <laughs> These three birds, I want to put them all together. Yeah. Put them all, but you know, this field of cellular agriculture, it is still a nascent industry. I mean, this is really these Is it easier to make fish than it is to make, like, steak? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, uh, one company called Finless Foods, I, I ate their queen fish recently, and uh, it is definitely easier to produce fish. And then the next would be like avian, like poultry meat, and then mammalian meat comes later. But these companies are doing it all. And their goal is to compete with animal products, not in some type of a way where these are a niche product, but rather to compete on cost and on taste with commodity meat. Is fish easier because almost no matter where you are in the filet, it tastes the same? Well, Whereas it's not so with the side of a cow? Um, that may be one reason, but a, a bigger reason is that fish are in a much colder environment that we're in. And so the cells don't have to be kept at such a high temperature. So you have far fewer energy costs because fish cells can be kept at the temperature in which the fish live. Oh, that's right. So, well, so yeah, I didn't ask you about the energy and the cost to make it. So I, first, let me agree with you. If you make hamburgers this way, you can just transform the hamburger market. Everyone's yeah. going to agree. Yeah. No one is going to deny that. I agree. Uh, completely. And that's a huge part of the American diet is the hamburger. And I might even eat more hamburgers knowing that (laughs) this is what what it is. So uh, what what would per pound? What's your what's your lab meat going to cost? Well, your Franken meat. (laughs) Hardly. The first ever clean burger that was ever produced was in 2013. And Sergey Brin, the co-founder of Google, funded it. And it was for a bargain price of three hundred and thirty thousand dollars per burger. Okay. Um, Now the second uh, burger. Yes. (laughs) Is the one that costs five dollars. Yes. And so in the last four years, the price 
prices come down more than 80%. And they took all the diamonds out of the burger. <laughs> <laughs> Let's yeah. start again. I don't know now the burger is only $20,000 <laughs> yeah. rather than three hundred. dollars Yeah, I don't know why they didn't use ketchup instead of gold dust. But, right, yeah. right, right. Uh, but no, so now the, these companies are saying they think by around 2020 or so, they might get it down to like $11 a burger. But there's a long way to go. But, you know, the first iPhone was over a billion dollars to produce. And these companies have only been in existence for a couple years. They're already driving the cost way down. And clean meat will become a reality within years, not decades. So, Paul, recently I, I posted a tweet that I didn't think would be controversial. I thought people would just be intrigued by it. Uh, the tweet was, cows are biological machines invented by humans to turn grass into steak. And I thought the blunt truth of that would just sort of wake people up and say, oh my gosh, is that what this, oh, I didn't know that kind of thing. That I, I think many people don't know that we invented cows. There's no herds of roaming cows terrorizing the hillsides, right? Because that's the, what cows do, terrorize. That's what they do. <laughs> the, they, the herbivores are always terrorists. Oh man, that, yeah, the, the, the gang of herbivores. Yeah. So, so they, so, um, and it, it received a very strong negative reaction. I would say... 80, 20, negative to positive or to neutral. And and I I didn't see that coming. Did you see that coming? Uh, you follow you follow me on Twitter, right? Is that right? I certainly do follow okay. you on Twitter. Um, He's the one. I'm the one. <laughs> oh, yes. you're the one. You started. <laughs> Mr. Humane Society guy. Yeah. So, yeah, as you know, I published a piece in, in response to this where I was defending part of what you were saying. I mean, I think, look, if you consider that when you domesticate wild animals into domesticated animals, that that's an invention of an animal that didn't exist before, then sure, that is a type of invention. I will say, though, that the wild animals from whom they were domesticated, the auroch, um, they were turning grass into meat too before we ever saw them. That's what ruminants do. That's what giraffes and camels and deer and elk do. They turn grass into meat. So I don't know that we caused them to do that, but to the extent that we did uh, create cows by domesticating well, wait, the Our cows do it way more efficiently than the auroch <laughs> did, I'm sure. Otherwise, uh, we still have to use the aurochs. Uh, yeah, well, we actually exterminated them. They're extinct. Yeah, they're extinct. The last one died in the 1600s. That's what I heard. They, yeah. they actually came farther into modern times than just the ice age yeah. debacle of the mammals. But did you, don't you think that it's because like people were just feel so bad and weird about that stuff. And that's why when you just said the blunt truth, they were like, no, that's not it. Yeah, you yeah, know? They, they, I, it I was like, the cows are feeling creatures. And I right. said, my tweet has nothing to do with that. Right. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I think for some people, separate it, I think. Yeah. You're right, Maeve. I think the idea of an animal being a machine is what some people found offensive because a machine implies that they're not sentient, that they don't have. Well, I said biological it. machine. Yeah. Oh, I think for anybody who, who follows <laughs> that's a very AI, scientist like <laughs> kind of a, thing. No, no, it could be a mechanical machine. <laughs> right. There's a biological machine because right. in a way we are biological machines. Of too. course, right? Yeah. Of and, course. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Of course, but that one has a very tuned purpose. <laughs> that's all. Mm-hmm. We got to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, more on the future of clean meat when Star Talk returns. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. 
And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome back to Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I got my co-host, comedic Maeve Higgins. Yeah, here I am. Maeve, uh, and host of the podcast, Maeve in America. Maintaining an Irish accent since 1981. <laughs> Was that on purpose, right? You actually have a Brooklyn accent now. <laughs> You're hiding it. Hey, thank you. <laughs> so a special in-studio guest is Paul Shapiro, author of the recent book, Clean Meat. How Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner and the World. Cool subtitle there. And uh, we've been exploring just the cutting-edge technology that Paul says is going to revolutionize everything about how uh, about our relationship to animals that are farmed for their uh, products. It wouldn't only be food, but leather, presumably, or other yeah. and other products. Uh, we're going to bring in some more expertise here. Uh, joining us on video call to help us just break down the science inside the laboratory is biologist Liz Specht. Liz, welcome to Star Talk. Thanks so much for having me on. Excellent. So you're a senior scientist at the Good Food Institute. Correct. Okay, it's who's the senior scientist at the Bad Food Institute? That's what I want to know. Your, her arch enemy. No, 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 her arch enemy. <laughs> in the parallel universe. I want the, the, the scientist in the Badass Food Institute. How about that? Uh, oh, that alone. <laughs> so you use uh, uh, biotech to, uh, in the field of synthetic biology, to make clean meat. And I, I don't know that that's a common term yet today, synthetic biology. It sounds almost oxymoronic. Could you define that for us all? Absolutely. Yeah. So my academic background is in the field of synthetic biology. Uh, and the way I like to explain it is to think of biology like a Lego set. So in all of the millions of years that biology has been doing its thing through evolution, we've developed this really cool tool toolkit of all of these various uh, enzymes, metabolic pathways to make cool molecules, structures that have different functions and properties. Um, so synthetic biology is simply looking at all the Lego pieces across a lot of different Lego sets and building new things that never existed before rather than just building the objects on the front of the Lego box. Um, what's cool though is that you actually don't need something like synthetic biology to make clean meat. Um, so that's, you know, certainly there's room for synthetic biology to do more sophisticated tricks down the line, but clean meat is just farming animal cells, muscle cells and fat cells and so forth, rather than farming the whole animal. So when we grow and multiply these cells in culture, it's, it's kind of the most natural thing for cells to do. There's nothing really synthetic about going from one cell to two, two to four, four to eight. Um, that's, that's what they do best. Okay, um, did, did you so, just diss Paul and his book? <laughs> it feels like you just dissed his entire work here. I no, I think there's definitely room for synthetic biology. I think, you know, <laughs> folks who, who kind of assume that there's something engineered or synthetic about clean meat um, might be wary of it as a technology going into their food. Obviously, you know, we find our food very personal. Um, so certainly there's room to leverage synthetic biology. And obviously I'm incredibly excited about the potential of that. Um, but we can grow these cells in a very straightforward way in culture. So, so uh, if I understand you correctly, um, you're interested in creating transgenic life, life that nature itself hadn't produced or doesn't know to produce. And you had some clever need for one kind of animal or bacteria or virus versus another. And you just go at it. Is that a fair characterization? So that's certainly that's been part of my research background. Yeah. Um, and again, I think there's a role for that in clean meat, um, but it's not it's not necessary. So clean meat is separate from whether these will be genetically engineered cell lines. 
one thing that I find really cool about clean meat is that, um, you know, whether you engineer the cell lines or not, you completely decouple the manner of production from the animal itself. Mm -hmm. So now we're, we're open to all of the species we could possibly want to farm for their meats. It's just as easy for us to make an antelope steak as it is a cow steak. So, so, uh, Paul, if you're just duplicating cells that, or, or cult, culturing cells, whatever the proper bio word is, uh, does that mean you could also uh, uh, manufacture organs for transplant? Yeah, interestingly enough, the lead company in the cellular agriculture space, a company called Modern Meadow, they're making uh, clean leather. It was founded by a father and son team that before that had founded a company called Organova, where they were making human organ tissues for experimentation purposes and one day for transplantation purposes, too. Uh, one key distinction. So you can use synthetic biology, for example, to make some of these products like milk and egg whites and so on. Uh, the clean meat companies, though, not the liquid products, but the solid products really are just using tissue engineering, uh, not so much um, the type of SynBio, so to speak, as the others are using okay so i'm um, i'm just curious if there might be part of the world who's afraid to eat food that a scientist made in the laboratory <clears throat> Uh, I heard that there was a restaurant. for no reason of course because yes. if it's the same cells right it's yeah, the same right? it's, it would be meats. out of the absence of awareness and knowledge of what you're actually doing and the fear factor that comes with every new wave of scientific discovery yeah, I heard there was a restaurant around the corner here that got busted. They were trying to make their food more palatable, and so they were throwing sodium chloride on it. Oh, oh you can't do that. I oh, know, my gosh. I know. So, of course, as educated <laughs> listeners of this show will know, it's just table salt. But for most people, they hear sodium chloride or, or dihydrogen monoxide, and they think, like, you know, this is these are real problems. Of course, it's just table salt and water. And so I think that there are some people who have a concern about uh, technology as it's applied to food. But keep in mind, virtually everything we eat has had some type of food technology applied to it. I mean, most people aren't concerned about eating a seedless watermelon, despite the fact that it's hardly natural. A seedless anything. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, so Liz, are, are you the weird one at the Thanksgiving table? <laughs> well, I think the weird one might be that father and son team who were like, well, we used to make human organs, but now we make bacon. <laughs> just like, okay. Yeah, I'm just wondering, how, how, how are you received by would-be friends or family? I think I, I am lucky in that I reside in pretty nerdy circles. So I think most people that I interact with day to day um, really, really get the value of leveraging all the tools that we have uh, to build a more sustainable food system. Um, I think a lot of people who kind of initially push back on this, um, same, same thing with genetically modified organisms in, in our crop species, once you actually explain to them the benefits of having that type of precision when you're developing you know, better foods, um, it, it really resonates with people. Uh, very cool. And, and tell me, Paul, why did you choose, uh, maybe not you, but your people, if not you, choose the word clean meat? Because that, that, that you know, that's a little unfair because it implies that meat from a living animal is dirty. Well, uh, the term so that's, that's that's not you know. Would you agree that you're playing dirty pool there? <laughs> uh, the term clean meat was really popularized by the Good Food Institute, where Liz works. And I'll tell you, one like clean energy, clean meat is just cleaner for the planet. But it's also just literally cleaner. So think about it. Right now, we're warned to treat raw meat in our kitchens almost like toxic waste. Why? Because it's riddled with feces, E. coli, Salmonella, Campylobacter. These are all intestinal pathogens that can sicken us if we don't cook the crap out of our meat. Literally, uh, but cook the crap yes, out of the meat. Yes, I like that. Literally okay. cooking the crap out of the okay. meat. But when you're growing clean meat, you don't need to grow intestines at all. You don't have those intestinal pathogens. You're just growing the muscle uh, that you want, and so that's why it's both literally cleaner and cleaner for the planet. Okay, you've convinced me. Great. I didn't think that would happen. <laughs> we but. got a cosmic query. Oh yeah, from so we're ready for cosmic query. Cosmic query section. Yeah, this is. Wait, wait, wait! wait. I have okay. to introduce it. Okay. Now is the time for <laughs> cosmic queries. We have two good experts about this topic, yep. and I will just sort of. Watch as this unfolds. Okay, okay, go. So this came in through Facebook. There's a huge fascination with this whole topic, right? This is Daniel S. Haltgrew, and he said that he read that um, clean meat tastes bland because it's muscle cells and there's no fat cells. Ooh. So um, what do you need to do to get stranded fat, marbling, like that you find in a good steak, and how far away is that? Yeah, yeah. So Liz, you know, if I'm choosing a steak, it's, it's the marbled steak because it's not, of course, it's not just the meat, it's the fat. 
Uh, Absolutely. And and that this is and the the Kobe steaks and all that that whole other sort of mm-hmm. branch of steak eating. Uh, that's fat level, very high fat level. So what's going on there? Yeah, and fat is such a flavor carrier, obviously. So it's it also provides some nutritional value. Um, there's all kinds of reasons you would want a genuine marbled steak. So uh, for this for this um, question, I would just urge that all of the companies that have developed products so far, these are early stage prototypes. They're working with single cell culture. So yeah, some of the products so far have just been muscle cells. But of course, there's the ability to co-culture multiple cell types. So to have muscle cells growing right alongside fat cells. What's cool and what really geeks me out is that when you have these cells grown on what's called a scaffolding material that's helping to kind of structure the final product, you can actually use that scaffolding material to help guide the cells where spatially you want them to differentiate into muscle versus fat. So imagine having the perfect marble steak and you can make a million of those with that exact marbling pattern because you're defining it at that level. Yeah, so once so you would need someone to study the perfect steak under natural causes and then duplicate that or possibly even improve on it now that you have laboratory controls. Very cool. So so you can cultivate fat cells the way you can uh, protein cells. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know that. I'm thinking fat is just, uh, fat. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so it's, but you need to just like sit those cells down in front of Netflix for three weeks. Uh, (laughs) That's how you get them. Eat nachos. That's how you get it. (laughs) All right. So you got another, uh, okay. So, um, this is Shay and he wrote in an Instagram. He asked how much energy will be consumed growing meat in a lab versus raising animals. Pound for pound. Pound for pound. So there are a lot of different life cycle analyses that have been done so far, but and, and they show generally, uh, not always, but generally that you're talking about a big energy savings, but also way fewer greenhouse gas emissions, uh, way less land, 99% less land, much lo- less water use. But as Liz correctly points out, these are still early prototypes. Like they don't know what it's going to be when it's at commercial scale yet. Presumably it will be even more efficient. But for right now, uh, it's looking pretty good. So what you're saying is the projections for the land use, water use, power use are so much better than anything going on now that even when it becomes mass market commercialized, you win and you, you're going to win every contest uh, up against whatever, whatever was used to be required to get the same product. Hands down. Hands down. Water, water use, everything. Yep. Right. Because you don't have to create the grass that right. the cow eats right. to think make about the steak. It. Yeah, think about it. Right now, an animal is doing all types of things that require calories for things that we don't care about. Breathing, digesting, thinking, seeing, walking. Right. When you're just growing the muscle that we want or the fat that we want, you need way fewer resources to mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. And even don't animals like taste better when they can move around like, and you give them space? <laughs> like they actually need more space? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think that's what they say. Do you eat meat? Uh, I don't, but I, I, I don't think that's what they say. Many times. I don't think that's what they say. But you know, like yeah. free-range chickens taste better than ca- chickens who live in a cage forever. Well, usually the free-range also have other aspects about them that make them... Like a little treadmill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I'm sure there are no treadmills. <laughs> you, know, you don't, you don't want to buff a, a, a No, fat, you don't want like lizard. a big muscular like chicken on your table. What else you have? What else you have? Uh, okay, so Mason um, Everest on Twitter, he asks, how long, roughly, that's nice that he gave you that out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> roughly. roughly. Um, it's a process from animal cells to edible product. So I, I guess he's talking about like two cells in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So, so Liz, if you start with like one cell and then it doubles and quadruples and whatever, uh, how long does it take? Just physically, if you were to watch it happen. Yeah, good, good question. So we can work out the math on that. Obviously, cells are growing exponentially. The doubling time for these types of animal cells is typically on the order of about 20 to 24 hours. Um, I've done some calculations myself when I'm trying to, to look at how close might we get to cost parity and so forth, where I'm trying to bound how long a process might be from, say, a starter vial to growing, say, a 20,000 liter tank full of cells. Um, And for that process, being pretty conservative with doubling times, we're looking at something between maybe three weeks and five weeks. Right. And keep in mind. And that's for a whole. That's for a whole batch, kind of from start to finish. But as with any scale process, you'll be making use of the latter end of that exponential growth curve and simply harvesting, get another doubling and so forth. Right. But I'm, but it still feels short to me because if you, 
uh, two to the thirtieth power. If you go over a month, uh, what do you get there? You get five billion, I think, something like that. Uh, You're a better mathlete than no, I am. I, but cells are very small, so five billion cells—that's not very much. That's Is that not, like a Shake Shack double burger? <laughs> 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 well, the, the, so, but 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 because you're because doubling time is in your favor, that if you don't have what you need in the twenty first day, you might have what you need in the twenty second day, because mm-hmm. every, what happens in the twenty second day duplicates what happened between day one and day twenty one. So, Absolutely. So really, this is a non. This is a no-brainer here. Literally. Yes. Oh. <laughs> is he good? Is he good? He's good. <laughs> okay. Uh, what else you got? Okay. This is I one think, more question before we last take a break. One? Okay. Cool. Um, how do the nutritional benefits? And this is from Frank Kane on Patreon. He's one of our Patreon supporters. How and you're the, supposed to read his question first. Oh, I am. Yes. Okay. Patreon get their questions first. Oh, let's edit this. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, Frank Kane. Yeah. Um, how do the nutritional benefits of clean meat stack up to soy and bean-based meat substitutes that are already available? Ooh, good one. Good one. Uh, who's going to take that? Ball? Uh, yeah. I'm happy to. Um, do it, you eat soy? Oh yeah. You so you're a vegan or a vegetarian? Uh, well, I've eaten queen meat many times, so whatever that makes me, I'm a queen meatitarian, oh. I guess. But um, you know, you were you could... so happy to eat it the first time? <laughs> you eat it a long time. The first time I ate queen meat was in 2014, and at that time, more humans had gone into space than had eaten meat, real meat grown outside of an animal. So in that, I was happy. I thought it was a cool thing to do. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't do much else for me other than that. Right. Uh, but since then, I've eaten queen beef, fish, duck, chorizo, liver, yogurt, like lots of these products are all in one go uh, yeah, yeah, it was like the ultimate turducken, just everything all together. Uh, no, um, I've eaten them separately. One of the benefits of writing this book was that you know, these companies want to share their products with you. Um, but, but nutritionally. Yes. So you can control. So as Liz was saying, you can control how much fat, the types of fats. I mean, theoretically, you could envision putting, instead of saturated fats in, maybe omega-3 fatty acids. So you would have a hamburger that rather than causing heart attacks would prevent them. Um, but right now, they're just trying to get it to the point where it's just the same the same exact thing so the same amount then, of as it was as yeah. it was in yeah, meat. Yeah. so then you could just do a comparison directly with soy yeah. as with regular meat uh yeah right now the clean meat products are trying to get them as to be exactly like the meat that we have except much safer then when you compare it let's say to plant-based products plant-based products are very nutritious uh they're good for you they're sustainable they're very energy efficient and they're great we want them Queen meat is not an alternative to them. It's really a supplement because if you think about it, think about it kind of like like fossil fuels in that uh, fossil fuels are such a big problem. You want more than one solution. You don't want just wind. You want solar. You want geothermal. You want to put everything in one basket. The same with the problem of animal agriculture. It's so bad. It's so serious that you want many alternatives, including plant-based meats and uh, whole plant-based foods, but also queen meats too. All right. Well, we got to take a quick break. And when we come back, more about clean meat. Star Talk is here. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. We're back on Star Talk. 
Neil deGrasse Tyson with my co-host, Maeve Hagan. Yep, here I am. And our topic today is clean meat. And I've got someone who literally wrote the book on it, Paul <laughs> Shapiro. I well, literally wrote the book because I literally wrote the only book. On the the only book. <laughs> <laughs> Hence, the book on it. Uh, how Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner and the World. And joining us on video call is Liz Specht, Senior Scientist at the Good Food Institute. And you're uh, you're joining us from San Francisco. Uh, so, That's correct. Yeah, so, so thanks for being on this show. And just a quick question. I heard before the break, uh, Paul just slipped in, uh, uh, talked about vegetables. Meat, plant-based, plant-based meat. Plant based <laughs> meat. I don't know what that is. What is it? Uh, well, or is it just is it just the the fake like the soy burger and that sort of thing? Yeah, I don't know if I would call it fake. It's very it's fake. Real, it's very it's real it. natural food. It's just we use plants to to mimic the taste and texture of meat. Have you wait? Have you seen the YouTube video where it's meat eaters talking about food the way vegetarians would? Oh, I haven't seen it. And I they need say, to. okay, well. Have you tried this celery made from animal meat? <laughs> We've taken out the flavor and put in celery flavor, uh, so it tastes just like celery, amazing. except it's made from burger. Yes. Right, it's a whole it's a whole video scale. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, uh, you know what it reminds me of a little bit? I want to just tell a very brief story. So in the mid-19th century, you had a huge natural ice industry. They're harvesting lots of blocks of ice from frozen lakes in the north, transporting it all around the world. Then you have the advent of industrial refrigeration. And all of a sudden, it's a lot cheaper to produce ice from the water right in front of you. Just cool it down. The art, the natural ice makers... By the way, that took major understandings and advances in physics and thermodynamics. Yeah, yeah big To be able to take heat from something that's... that's uh, Take heat out of something that's already colder than the environment. Right. To make it colder. Yeah. That was a major advance in in sort of the engineering physics yeah. of, of thermodynamics. But go on. Well, the natural ice uh, people, the barons of the natural ice industry, were really upset by this because it threatened their market. And so they derided what they called artificial ice. And they said, oh, be careful of the artificial ice. The ammonia used in the coolant could leak in. It could hurt you. Well, the irony at the time was that the so-called artificial ice was actually much safer than the natural ice because the natural ice, one, is coming from waters that are polluted with industrial revolution pollutants, and they've got horses dredging the ice out, going to the bathroom right on top of the ice as they're pulling out, whereas the artificial ice was being produced uh, from water that had been filtered or boiled. You fast forward to today, and virtually every one of us has an artificial ice maker in our homes. We call them freezers. And nobody thinks there's anything unnatural or fake about it. We just call right. it ice. Right, right, right. Uh, so, Maeve. Yep. We're still in Cosmic Queries mode. Yes, we are. So give it to me. Okay. Um, this is from Chris. Uh, this is from Chris Ryu, and he's on Patreon. Now he opens by saying, "Nice to meet you." Okay. I just want to say that. Must well, who's happen. he meeting? These, I mean, M E A T. Oh, now we meet you. You've never heard it before. <laughs> I'm sure you haven't. That's very nice of you. <laughs> um, so he's asking, how does the clean meat process compare with organic farming when it comes to greenhouse emissions, energy consumption, and the space that you need? So he's writing from uh, the UK, actually. So um, what do you think, organic farming? Yeah, Liz. Sure. I'll hop on this. Paul took a life cycle analysis question. So I, I think the most relevant attribute here is really the, the amount of resources used. Like Paul said, we're, when we're growing meat by funneling calories through an animal, it's an inherently inefficient process, just thermodynamically. There's no getting around that. So organic form, farming, just like industrialized animal agriculture, will always be much less efficient. Um, in many cases, organic farming often ends up taking more land because you're not able to kind of uh, get the same yield out of the same area of land for the feet, for example, for these animals. That's organic um, farming relative to traditional farming. Even takes more land for the same uh, for the same yield. That's what you're saying. Correct. Right? Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So it's more efficient than all of the above is what this comes down to, whether or not you're organic. Right. So it could put organic, have them rethink because uh, you can have organic animals, of course. It's not organic is not just vegetables. Right. So this would uh, completely transform. Yeah, it means that they do, they're not given, I guess, antibiotics and hormones and stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. That's what an organic animal. Yeah, it's it's so now formally defined. 
Yeah, right. organic. Right. Yeah. This, mm-hmm. this is an interesting question from a chef. His name is Aaron Nelson. And he said, um, I'm a chef. I'm interested in the idea of lab-grown meat. As it stands, um, where a cow is raised, how it's raised, what it eats, all affect the flavor and the texture of a steak. Do you think lab-grown meats could open the possibility of designer meats with customizable taste, appearance, and texture? Yeah, because I've been in restaurants where they say, this meat, well, well, no, it's cheese. You can buy mm. cheese. This is spring cheese versus fall cheese. Wow. In the spring, the cows are eating on this side of the hill, and it's the grass is this. But later on, it's a different grass, and so right. There's like biodynamic food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, yeah. so are you? Uh, so, Liz, do you do you know the molecules well enough to duplicate the subtleties that go on not only in the food we eat, but in our capacity to taste it? Are you there? Like a sunshine morning in Montana. That's where this cow is. <laughs> and, and the monks uh, treated this, right? massaged this cow. <laughs> the cow felt uncomfortable. Yeah, do you have the, 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 the monk massage gene in there? Yeah. They actually have monks stirring the bioreactors. Yeah. <laughs> Give them something to do. They add their secret sauce. Yeah, I know, yeah. not there yet, just because people haven't looked at it yet. But I think that's a relatively straightforward question to answer. And I think what's... Um, so exciting about this process is the degree of control you have over it. So you can do an analysis of what are all of the the subtle flavor components that you're getting when you know you're you're fermenting grass from a certain area, uh, and you can figure out what that actually is, and then you make your cell culture media their nutrient feed to have exactly that composition. So from a culinary perspective, I mean you could you could patent your formula of what you're feeding to your cells, and that can be your you know, your five-star um, meat, one of a kind that you hang your hat on as a chef. Wow, I hadn't thought about that. Patent your own steak. And what it would also mean is whatever might, because it's not just didn't, whatever the wait, cow. didn't Donald Trump have his own steaks? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> He's such a leader in scientific thinking. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, how lucky we are. So the uh, it seems to me there's not only whatever the cow ate giving whatever flavor and texture to the meat, that was in it that you now can possibly duplicate. But there's also the topical dressings you might put on it, the the dry rub. In principle, you could infuse your cultures with with like Texas barbecue sauce, right? So then you just get the meat, cook it. It's got all the flavor you would have put on it after the fact. That's just like Iberico ham, right? The pigs eat this special type of acorn and then they taste so good. I didn't know about this. Oh, it's delicious. But it's basically your idea. It's happening. We're going to drop acorns in with the cells. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) It would be an interesting uh, cocktail, I guess, when you do that. What else you got? Um, Time for a couple more questions. Okay, so, uh, I mean, this is from Instagram, the Granolin. I can't wait to try this. I hope it's good enough to shut all the vegans up. (laughs) 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 I mean, vegans do love to be vegan. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a thing. Not all of them, but Mm -hmm. we all all know the ones that do. We do. Right, and it's it's odd because, uh, Paul, I mean, I'm I'm the senior citizen here. Uh, There was a day where you were invited to someone's house they didn't ask you what you couldn't eat. You just ate what you were served. Any allergies or drinking? Well, I'm vegetarian, I'm this, and I'm allergic to these seven. Okay, I will now accommodate you. That is today, but back in my day, no, you ate what was put in front of your face, no matter what. So, so the whole culture, it the was, whole- It was snowing outside too, all the time. <laughs> all the time, <laughs> uh, yeah, uphill, no shoes, no back shoes. and forth to school. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm just intrigued how, like you said, uh, it's almost as though people's food habits have become their religions, and you choose friends based on it. And you, uh, so it'd be nice if that we can do away with that. If we just manufacture everything in the lab, I'm a scientist. Just go, go for it. Get, I'm there for you. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I mean, already our food, a lot of our foods do start out in a laboratory, right? Like you think about cornflakes. I mean, they're not. It's not like they just grow on a tree. Some some white cut scientist a in a lab created <laughs> cornflakes, and now yeah. it's produced in a factory. Eventually, clean meat isn't going to be coming from a lab. It'll be coming from a man like a brewery, basically. And so, it, sorry, Liz, sorry. go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, what excites me about clean meat is that it actually levels the playing field in terms of what globally we can all eat because we're we're lowering the resource burden of making meat. So this is no longer a, you know, wealthy Western world type um, 
luxury, this is now something that could be accessible to everyone. So I think, you know, in some ways it makes eating less politicized because we're, we're all using a much more effective method that makes this kind of democratized. And Ooh, the, that's good. I'm going to pause on that moment. Right. Depoliticizing food. This is beautiful. That, that's beautiful, Liz. Because Liz. like here in America, we have so many options. Is that right? And But like... We yeah, could be making well, and, and the options we take for granted as well. Right. But I mean, a, a that diet. doesn't really like already we have like so much here, but it does hasn't evened things out around the world. Well, of course I mean? not. Right. Yeah. Right. Just we have to, access to too many resources. Right. right. We're right. just What's getting so chubby. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a, a, a diet heavy, <laughs> a, a diet very heavy in meat is a first world issue, right? Like, there's a reason right. why the poorer nations of the world don't eat that much meat because it's very resource intensive. Mm. And so, I think Liz is right when we're talking about democratizing food. If you could have these type of systems where you're producing meat much more efficiently, you could make it available not only to people who don't have access to it today, but to the billions of people who are going to come onto the planet, primarily in developing countries like China and the India billions and Brazil. Yet born. Yeah, right, mm. and who are going to want to eat like China's Americans. Not a developing country uh, to the billions yet born they're still okay. they're still coming so into it's like China places. has a space program they're not a developing country <laughs> okay, okay? Fair let's, point. Keep, let's keep that clear <laughs> but, but what point, you're hoping for like in, in, in you, it would be like kind of trickle down chicken nuggets <laughs> <laughs> we got time for one last quick question okay, okay. great okay so um if I this is from Andre Frost, uh, if I want to support the development of vat grown meat and haste vat grown meat, yeah, that's for, what you first say? thing to do, Andre, is to stop calling it that. <laughs> yes, that's your first thing. Vat grown okay. meat, okay. <laughs> and haste and its commercial viability. Which company or organization should I throw money at? Uh, so, uh, you know, one thing, I, Liz doesn't want to be so self-serving to say it, so I'll say supporting her nonprofit, the Good Food Institute, mm -hmm. which oh, I'm that's thinking about. Yes. Okay, cool. So, so, so I will say that's a great place to invest your the money, Good Andre. Good Food Institute. But cool. uh, also, you know, if you buy the book, which you can get from cleanmeat.com. Which right? is not a not-for-profit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you can see the main companies that are leading in this space right yeah. now, because I profile those companies in the book. and Profile in a good way. Yeah, they're... Because they're, they're, in my world... It's never good. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Yes, good point. They are just, um, to be they clear. are historically profiled, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> meaning that I chronicle their uh, their yes. exploits, and mm -hmm. so you can check them out. But uh, but Andre, go to cleanmeat.com and see for yourself. Well, well, excellent. So I, I I trust and expect and hope the book will do well and help sort of change the dialogue One out there. And Liz will be keeping an eye on you. Uh, I want my, my T-bone steak in... <laughs> three weeks. Three weeks. <laughs> Medium rare. And <laughs> three weeks. But we'll be, we'll be looking at the Good Food Institute, and uh, good to know uh, we, we've got good people out there just trying to change the world, uh, all for the better. So thanks for being on Star Talk, Liz. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, and, and May. Yeah. Always good to have you. Any, yeah, any that final was so, thoughts, May? That was so fun. No, I'm hungry. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the, the actual role of science, um, yes, it has affected information technology. It's affected transportation and can still. Um, there are many more places that science has yet to tread in our lives that it could just transform civilization as we know it. And it's always science that transforms civilization. And th this seems like it would be the next one and would be welcome to us all, all 10 billion of us sharing this planet in the year 2040, 2050. You've got it. Well, we got to end it there. You've been watching and more likely listening to this episode of Star Talk. Thanks, Paul, Paul Shapiro, Maeve, Liz. I've been your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And as always, I bid you. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. 
Learn more at funturns50.com.